Did you bring the melon? Yes, I brought the melon. Did you bring the apples? Yes, I brought the apples. Did you bring the lemonade? Yes, I brought the lemonade. Welcome to the Hot Stove Society Show on Cairo Radio. We're thrilled to have you with us. Uh, we're coming to you from downtown Seattle, the beautiful Hotel Andra at 4th and Virginia, right in the heart of my restaurant business group. Yeah, your quorum there. That's, that's, uh, yeah. I love the Douglas quarters. That's very nice. So well, thank you. Nice. Thank you, Chef. Yeah, I appreciate very, that. Very nice I am job. joined by that familiar voice is uh, Chef in the Chapeau. Bien sûr, mon ami. Bien sûr. Every Thursday, we'd love to be here. Yeah, come on down. Join us. We have a lively group this morning. It's a small group. They're all getting a delicious breakfast from the Dahlia Bakery. Well, let's inclusive of, well, are you going to wait to see? Is that <laughs> what you said? Let's not jump the gun exactly. here. Exactly. I'm like, just. Yeah. Uh, we breakfast. have a little surprise treat for them, too, from the Dahlia Bakery, not just the sandwich. Because you know what we have over there. We, yes, we're I well know known for have. another thing over there. This is where I pick up my bread every and week. And it's not that. It's not that. Uh, my name is Tom Douglas. Uh, we have a large show for you today. My good friend Liz is here today to kind of, she's going to help produce the show in Pamela's absence. She's going to do the paperwork, you know, because we lost our, our good buddy Pamela. No, we didn't like, she didn't die. Don't, don't, right, don't right. get up. But she found one of her dream jobs, uh, which is uh, she's the executive director now of the Pike Place Market Senior Center and uh, Food Bank. And she's always wanted to give back. And she thought towards the end of her career that she really, she'd been looking for something where she could do that. And, you know, I met Pam 43 years ago in the Pike Place Market when she was the wine manager at De Laurentiis. Um, and that's at the other end of the market is where I met my future wife, Jackie, when she was the wine manager at the market, Pike, Pike the and Western Wine at. Shop. So the fact that she's finishing her career in the market is, I think, totally appropriate. And we are thrilled for her, but sad for us. Yes. So uh, I've been taking... She will visit. Until we decide who's going to produce the show, I've been jumping in. And it's hard. It's hard. This is why everybody has a job. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. You always like to take over and go, oh, let's see if I can do it. Within uh, a day, if, you realize, uh-uh. Yeah, we do tape on Thursday mornings generally here, so uh, you can either tune in on YouTube at our Tom Douglas & Co. channel and watch us, or you can come like these lovely folks did and buy a ticket at hotstovesociety.com and come uh, enjoy breakfast, hot coffee, lively repartee. Exactly. It's Is a that a French word, repartee? Yes. Yeah, see? Hmm. Sounded perfectly bien, pronounced. Yes, indeed. Uh, so we also have lots of classes here. You know, a matter of fact, after today's show, I have a class at 1230, a paella class with a group of 30 people. Oh, nice. Yeah, we're, we're drinking Spanish wine. I'm going to be totally looped by 3 o'clock. So I'm just, I'm just going to As say. it should be. I mean, uh, you know, we a time in our life where 3 o'clock comes quickly. Our, our partnership with Charlie's Produce continues cultivating fresh. We welcome Ian Inaba. He's got a farm over there in the Yakima Valley that... Uh, grows that delicious Yumi watermelon. Remember we tasted yes. that uh, a week ago, I think. Yeah. Y-U-M-I is their, one of their really highly rated house brands. And uh, we're also going to talk about Amaze, A-M-A-I-Z-E, mm-hmm. corn. And then uh, once we talk about that corn, you know, we're going to make some creamed corn with it afterwards. Because I got a note saying you just kind of glossed over the creamed corn when we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. And then let's talk about creamed corn. I didn't know there was such interest. I, you know what? I'm excited Then people are interested. Julia Child, you know, uh, we put out a notice for her birthday celebration that we do yes. every year here at the Hot Stove. On the f- this year, it's on the 15th of August for her 111th birthday celebration. It sold out in two hours. 
Wow. 125 seats sold out in two hours. So next week we're going to give away two tickets that you can't even buy. That's right. So that makes them priceless, right? Priceless. Because we're sold out. And so where are you going to sell those? On next week's show, we're going to give them away. Ooh. We're going to have a contest and give Tell away all two your tickets to the Jewish Child birthday uh, celebration. And, Chef, what is it the French term when you do a, like a, a promenade, a walkabout? I, I wrote it in my newsletter, and now I can't remember. When you do a promenade? Like a walkabout in France. You know, in Italy it's called a, a promenata, passeggiata, yeah. Oh, so une promenade. Un promenade, that's yeah, it. Un promenade, Well, yeah. that was difficult. Uh, homemade pot stickers with Chef Annie here from the hot stove. We're going to talk about that. She's got a class coming up in September. Uh-huh. Good time to plan for that. Uh, it struck me that um, we need to have an onion burger. And I know the, wall, the Puyallup Fair has a famous onion burger, but I was reading all about the Oklahoma onion burger. And one of the, uh, Jake, uh, Kenji Lopez did it for the New York Times. And one of the things I really liked about it was that they used the onion steam when the onions are cooking, to steam the burger bun. Ah, it's confusions. Yeah, so let's talk about that today. Palace Kitchen Joy. Oh, I got plenty of those. It has been such a treat to have the palace back open again and to hear from folks what they love about the fact that it is open. And uh, I have been humbled by the whole experience, and I want to talk a little bit about And we need to let more people know that it's open because every week I meet somebody and I go, oh, yeah, the palace, oh, it's reopened. It takes time. Yeah, no, I know. You know. We've been closed for three and a half years. I know. Uh, so it, uh, it's taking time, and that's fine. Uh, but I'm going to spread some of the joy that people are having at the Palace Kitchen. Cool. And finally, we're going to wrap up the show today with our Food for Thought Tasty Trivia Challenge, uh, which is brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. What's your taste of the week, Chef? Well, Jeannie and Craig Kobayashi, the dear friends, brought me a soup last night of bitter melon soup. Have uh-huh. you ever had that? I have. I had a bitter melon soup down at Tai Tung restaurant, old Chinese, uh, Seattle's oldest Chinese restaurant. Yeah. I had a bitter I melon soup. Was... And let's just say I only had to have it once. Right. Yeah. Um, I had it last night and, and it had four meatballs that were kind of like if you take a meatball and you stuff it in a zucchini kind of idea. That's uh-huh. what it kind of looked like. So it was that bitter sweet melon. Whew. If you've never it's, had... It's bracing. It's bitter. Yeah. Let's just say the word bitter is understated in that soup. Yeah. It's bitter. And bitter like real bitter. Uh-huh. So the first slurp of that soup was definitely like, holy Moses, what is this? <laughs> and that was definitely bitter. But after a while, especially with the meatball, it kind of tames the whole thing down. Mm-hmm. It was delicious, but extremely surprising at first. And it's kind of got like a hot and sour texture. You know, I think there's a little bit of cornstarch in there that makes it silky. Right. It almost uh, or like, like okra. okra. Yeah. 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 So almost kind of slimy on the, on the, on the vegetable. It's a tech in the, you, you need a You know what they call that, chef? What? It's kind of like calves brains or something that you might serve sure. that you think nothing of. It's an acquired taste. Correct. It's an acquired taste. <laughs> and uh, I acquired it. So... <laughs> Uh, you know, the first person that introduced me to that, uh, Harry Yoshimura from Mutual Fish and I were sitting at the counter at Tai Tung, and he ordered it, and I just said, great, you know, blah, blah, blah. I took a big old scoop of it. And, <laughs> and, uh, I'd say go gently in it. It's like cold water. You know, just go in gently. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> uh, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about Omsom, which is a little company that I discovered through my daughter, Loretta. Uh, and we're going to talk a little about their their sauces and how you too can jumpstart 
a little bit more traditional Thai dinner in your house. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. If I had a mushroom, I'd tell you what I'd do. I would take that mushroom and split it in two. Oh, if I had a mushroom. All right, we're back in the hot stove kitchen on Cairo. We're getting started with a mouthful of flavor. Uh, there's a company, my daughter, you know, tries to get me gifts because I have everything. I mean, I literally sure. have from the kitchen side of things, I literally have everything. And so my daughter's always struggling. She's a foodie type person, struggling to find the right gift. She's not going to buy me a sweater no, or a tie you or a hat. Yeah, anything like that. Especially so the tie. She, she does a little research and tries to find me things. And this Christmas, she gave me a box full of Asian spice uh, sauce. Asian sauces. I would say they're like sauce kits almost. They're like, right. they're almost like a like gravy a helper in a funny way, right? So, uh, and they're different flavors. They have uh, a bunch of different um, ones. One is spicy bulgogi, sisig, S-I-S-I-G, spicy mala sauce, yuzu miso glaze, lemongrass barbecue. And the one that I tried the other night, which was going to be my taste of the week, but we ran out of time, was the larb, a sauce for the larb, L-A-R-B. And if you've gone to Thai restaurants, usually you see the larb, it's either in uh, a salad form right. or it's in a lettuce cup wrap, right? right? So you get the lettuce on the side and you spoon the spicy larb into the lettuce cup and right. eat, it, eat right. it like a little taco or whatever, however you want to describe it. I mean, last year it was a, it was a meat press and I've actually used them. I did, who knew that I needed a, like a, a hamburger press or bacon press, you know, the, uh-huh. the weight uh-huh. that you put on. Yeah. So this year I got these, I've, they've been sitting in my cabinet Jackie was making a little salad. I said, you know, we have those spice mixes in the back. And this particular larb recipe that they called for, or that she was reading online, called for oyster sauce. I always have oyster sauce. It's in my fridge. Except you (laughs) were out. Huh? You were out. No, no, no. I had it. But it was a little bit like going to my mother's house when she was alive. Uh, Jackie looked at the oyster sauce. Yeah, there it is. I told you it was in the door. She looks at it. She says, this expired in 2006. <laughs> 2006. You know it's now 2023. And I don't know why I'm laughing because mine is probably the same date. We probably I, bought I it. I just the same never time. use it, apparently. I know. And so we poured it out to try it, and it was completely oxidized yeah. and garbage. And so there went her recipe. And I said, Well, I think I got these things in the garage and in, in the pantry, uh, blah, blah, blah. Pulled them out. Delicious. Yeah. Absolutely delicious. Spicy is all get out. Yep. And so what I did to solve that for me, because I like spice, but I don't like overspice. I don't like something that blows my taste buds out. I like something that perks the flavor. Correct. And so long story short, we're making larb. So larb is ground meat. Right. uh, That has been stir fried, essentially, with onions. And then uh, I, I had brought over with me from the farm green beans, zucchini, uh, shallots, lots of different uh, Thai basil, different herbs and stuff. And so we had this whole thing, kind of uh, ground meat, all kind of browned up. And I put in this larb sauce because the other stuff was horrible. Uh, and then I, I brightened it with yuzu uh, juice, which is like a citrus juice. Which right? is good to cut on spice. It, well, it not only helps spice, but, you know, sometimes with um, salt, it's, that's what I like about, say, cayenne pepper. You add a little right. pinch of cayenne and you don't need near as much salt when Correct. you're making something, right? Correct. So people that are on low-salt diets, cayenne is a godsend. Right. Um, 
So same thing with yuzu. It brightens the flavor of the, what you're trying to make. And so we're making this larb. It's ground meat. It's, I'm, we're putting it on buttered uh, jasmine rice. Mm. And we're serving it warm, not necessarily hot, right. but warm. So good. So I looked up this company, Omsom, O-M-S-O-M, Omsom. They don't have much. They just have these sauces, essentially. And they have some noodle, noodle packs but, and these sauces. They're a young company. I think they started just three years ago, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and it's a couple of sisters, a couple of Vietnamese sisters that uh, started it. Uh, Vanessa and Kim Phan, P-H-A-M. And Omsom, the way they describe it on their website means essentially, Annie says I'm a little bit wrong, but essentially, hey, in the back seat, you, shut up. You're being too loud. Right? It means loud. Right, right. And these sauces are loud. They are so delicious. So I put them out for everyone to taste. And, and I think the important part is until you understand the sauces themselves, you don't really understand the dish. You know what's sad is I would never buy something like this because to me, I don't see the product in there and I don't know. I'm like, right, nah, I don't know what it is. Yeah. But I, you know, I tested it, and I'm like, this is definitely delicious. Right. I mean, there is, it, it really tastes really good. So it's very impressive to see that, you know, out of a package like this, I would walk right in past it. And, and I think that was part of the reason I wanted to put them on the show, was that so often we kind of walk by things that would make yeah. us not only better cooks, but yeah. it's so fast. But there's no reason not to use this in a, in a, in a pinch, I mean, or, or any time. Not, not even in a really, pinch, No, right? it's really delicious. Because here's the thing. For, to make this sauce, you need all this stuff in your fridge, yeah. and you're only going to use little bits of it. The 2006 Next thing you know, sauce. you have 2006 <laughs> oyster sauce because you didn't. You bought this jar, but you only used an ounce out of 16 yeah. ounces, right? And these are perfect size. Yeah, it's, one dish. It's one dish. You do do one dish. Sort of. I will say. Well, if it's hot and spicy. Yeah, I will say that, <laughs> that these recipes by nature are spicy, and so if spicy is a concern for you, I what I do is I empty the packet into a bowl. Right. A little bowl that I could taste it and say, understand where my spice level was. Right. And then I added half of what they called for in their recipe because their recipe makes it spicy. Yeah. And if you go to a Thai restaurant, like a traditional Thai restaurant, there's a lot of spicy, spicy oh, yeah. going on. They use like fresh paper and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, so you could. You could for me, half of this recipe was perfect. Right. And then I just kind of doctored it up with a little bit of this and that that, uh, that uh, gave me enough to have a sauce because if yeah. you don't use the whole thing, you don't have the right But if proportion. you put this in jasmine rice with some meatballs, I mean, it's going to get well, dissipated that's, quite quickly. That's a super important point you just made, Chef, yeah. is that you can't think about it the way it tastes right out of the package. You have no. to spread it out. I had two pounds of ground meat. Yeah. I had two onions, yeah. two zucchinis, uh, well, shishito peppers, you know, it's, and, and uh, you know, f- four cups of right. rice. So you've got to think about that all the way over. So that, the word you know, is, that happens all the time. People under-season because yeah. they don't project in their minds the quantity. It's one thing to do is you don't season anything of that. You're going to be doing the rice, the meatballs, and everything. You don't over-season that, especially with salt. And then you <coughs> let the spice do the work. And at the end, you adjust your spicing. Yeah, you can always add soy sauce, or you could add a little fish sauce. That's very salty. Salt. Yeah, so. and it's one of my problems that I have with a lot of cooking shows on television is that they, oh, you have to salt every layer. You know, you have to you have to salt all the way through. Blah blah blah. It's nonsense. Yeah, it is nonsense. Yeah, it is definitely. I mean, many time I've only seasoned on one, heavily on one side uh-huh. and not on the other side mm-hmm. because you don't need to. It's it's not a necessary. It's a habit that we have, right? Especially as cooks. You know, in the kitchen, we very much have habits of certain things that we do. And then one day you stop and you think and you go, yeah, I don't need to do that. That's right. crazy. 
Well, and some salts are saltier than others. Like Correct. Uh, Cell Gris from France is yeah. much saltier in a funny way than kosher salt that we right. buy at our grocery Absolutely. store. It just tastes saltier. And also how long you put the salt on, the spice, you know, you put on your meat. It takes more time to get into the meat or not, break down the cells and everything. So, All right. So I just want to give them one more shout out because you have to go online to get this stuff. You're not going to sure. find it in your grocery store. O-M-S-O-M dot com. O-M-S-O-M as in mama dot com. Be quiet in the back seat. <laughs> um, and their motto is proudly, loudly. So, and and uh, we didn't even describe those sauces, but, you know, one has a little sweetness to it. One has a... One re- still spicy. Spicy a little bit, yeah. and then the middle one it was a very nice chunky, kind of uh, ground nut spice kind of idea uh-huh. with nice heat. And then the last one is kind of reminded me of like ketchup with spices. That Korean bulgogi kind of yeah. thing, which yeah. is a little bit kind of like ketchup with spices. Exactly. Yeah. And they have great recipe support. Um, each sauce comes with its own recipe support, so it's it's terrific. Charlie's Produce is going to join us uh, on the next segment. Lon from Inaba Farms is going to be here on uh, Zoom, I believe, on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. But I like mine mixed with mayonnaise, coleslaw on the side. Solid potato salad. That's solid salad, Jack. All right, here we are back in the hot stove kitchens. Uh, we're joined uh, by Charlie's Produce, as we do every week, talk about some hot delicious uh, Northwest-grown product, generally Northwest. Sometimes we get to Northern California or someplace like that, but generally a Northwest product. Uh, we have Lon Inaba from Inaba Farms over there in the Yakima Valley. Welcome to the show, Lon. Welcome. Thank you. Congratulations. I understand that you are uh, in the middle. You're the general manager of Inaba Farms, but you're also in the middle of kind of transitioning out of being the owner of Inaba. So that's uh, good for you. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so tell us about Yumi brand and uh, the watermelon that you, I, we have two items to discuss, a maize corn and Yumi watermelon. And the, the Yumi we had a couple of weeks ago when Laura was here and brought yeah. us in a big. It's really delicious. They stuff. call it black watermelon, but it's really a dark, dark green. Yeah. And so tell us about that watermelon and how you've uh, come to grow it and what makes it different than, say, a watermelon that uh, I might grow, say, over at my farm 50 miles away. Well, the Yumi watermelon is a black organic seedless watermelon. And, uh, you know, we've, we've been in business for a hundred years. And so we've dealt with Charlie's for a long, long time. And so we started selling them as the black watermelons and, and Charlie's picked up on it and they really liked it. And so they branded it. And, uh, now we put them in boxes for Charlie's produce. So when you're growing a watermelon chef, you've seen them in the fields, right? They're just out there, these big honking. Yeah. Melons and they're you need they, lots of room to grow watermelon. You do, uh, and they're so beautiful. You just want to cut into them. How do you know uh, when to pick them, Lon? Uh, that's the biggest question I get all the time: is like, whether it's cantaloupes or watermelons or whatever. How do you know when that watermelon is ripe and ready? Do you have a refractometer that tells you the the bricks, or what do you what do you do? We cut them open in the field. <laughs> you just cut them <laughs> and, open. Uh, oh, yeah, that's as simple and, as that. Well, you know, and and. You know, when you plant, you plant pretty uniformly. And so really, once you start uh, finding good watermelons and and uh, we just got to 
cut a bunch of them, and and when when they uh, seem to be pretty good, that's when we get them. My guys uh, are really skilled at selecting, and so they're probably better than I am. And uh, they will go out and, um, you know, you, you kind of look at the color, you kind of look at the size, you know, and you thump them around. But in reality, it's not that easy. <laughs> you know, I, I wish we could find something that would help us to, to determine that. But really, the best thing is, you know, when, when a good portion of them are ready, you know, that's that's when you cut them. It is kind of funny to walk through a produce section and see everyone kind of banging on the, on the melons, trying to uh, decide what their family has been telling them all their lives makes a ripe melon sound oh yeah and and there's a lot of theories out there but i've never really found there is no better theory than cutting it in half and that's why you know i always say if you go to a if you're going to shop for produce if they're not willing to give you a taste right probably i would shop someplace else yeah exactly i mean they're not going to whack open a, a whole watermelon but if they do whack a watermelon they'll generally just sample it out sure i don't know in covid days but certainly before a, they would sample the whole it's thing It's a out. smart way to do it, especially with melon, peaches, apricots, and fruits that are in season right now. That's definitely a, a good time to do that. So, Lon, uh, you've been growing these a long time. Uh, what's your favorite way to eat watermelon? I know Chef likes to do some fancy little trick like compressing them in the cryovac machine and squeezing the crap out of them and blah, blah, blah. Right, Chef? Not always. I like to just slice watermelon with uh, tomato and uh, feta cheese uh-huh. and tarragon. So you get that sweet, acidic kind of thing going yep. on. And salty mm-hmm. from the feta and uh, tarragon and olive oil. Lots of pepper, cracked pepper, and that's it. Lon, do you have a favorite way? Well, I like to take my friends out in the field, and we just go cut them open and eat them on a hot, <laughs> sunny day right out of the field. Do you like the uh, – is it a mid-afternoon snack? Because, you know, they, they do change temperatures with the temperature yeah. outside. So, like this morning, when I woke up this morning – at 3 a.m., it was 58 degrees out, so your watermelon would be 58 degrees. Yeah. Do you like to eat them cold, or do you like that mid-afternoon sun when they just are kind of warm and syrupy? Well, you, if, if you hit them about midday when it's going to be about 80 or 90 outside, those melons are still nice and cool, Yeah, and, yeah. and that's the best. So refreshing. All right, let's go to another product that you uh, are well-known for, which is Amaze Corn, A-M-A-I-Z-E, Amaze Corn. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, it's another product we've been growing with Charlie's, and uh, it's, a, it's a white corn, very tender, very sweet, probably our favorite corn. Is there a trick to how you grow it? What's, uh, tell us more about the process and what makes it different than other corn. Because I see a lot of corn over there, but it's mostly silage corn. Well, the process is to keep it cool as soon as possible. And, and so within an hour of harvest, it goes into a 35-degree hydrocooler. It's a big ice water shower where it spends about an hour, and we drop about 25 degrees right off the top. Then we sort it. We put another hydrocooler and drop another 15 degrees out. Wow. And, uh, you know, and then, then we top ice it with 10 pounds of ice on every box. And so uh, by the next morning, it's 35 degrees. And, and that's how you prevent your corn from being silage. You know, if, if you just threw it in the back of your pickup and drove it home or drove it to Seattle, it will be silage by the time you get there. Oh, but is that, the secret that, is that's how really fast, proper cooling. Is that because that's how fast the sugar starts fermenting? Or, oh, yes, wow. it is. I didn't realize it was that fast. I didn't fast. realize that either. So, oh, wow, I, didn't, I never so realized when, that. When people say you should eat it right off the uh, stalk, the, yeah. they're serious. You can literally peel that husk back in the field and, and take a bite, and you'll get it at its best, right. at its peak. I never realized that. That's a very cool uh, thing to know. I did not. 
So I've been buying corn for a long time. Uh, when did this hydrocooling thing start? Well, we've been hydrocooling ever since we got into uh, the grower, packer, shipper business in 1982. But we, we started with a small 65-ton cooler. Then we added another 150-ton cooler. Then we added an ice plant. So we can make 100 tons of ice a day. When, 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 you're, when you're doing that, you know, I think uh, we sent some corn down to California and and the guy that received it told us that uh, our corn received better than the corn that they were growing five miles away on their wow. own. Food. You know, it's it's uh, it's very, very crucial to properly cool that corn. And, and that's true with peaches. That's true with melons. If you can do that, you stop the uh, the aging process. Like it goes to silage, like you say, <laughs> you know. And, yeah. and if you cool it, my dad said the best way to eat corn is go fill a big pot full of water. Stick it on the stove, turn it on, go out in the field, pick you some corn and throw it there in the hot go. water. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, that <laughs> makes perfect sense. Yeah, you turn the water on first, then exactly. you go pick the corn. Yeah, yeah, most people do it the other way around. It's kind of like when you go crabbing or when you do any of that. It's kind of like how you should do it, too. <laughs> you know, you want to keep it as fresh as possible, and that's very interesting. And good corn. I like, I like raw corn, you know, in, the, in this time of year with beautiful ripe, ripe corn. Mm-hmm. You know, you do a raw corn and... The famous raw corn and blueberry salad. Right, because your vinegar is going to cook it as much as it needs to be cooked. Exactly. Yeah, yeah or it's lemon juice. Or... And, and give you that, cut that sweetness also, which mm-hmm. is really nice. It's a double, double whammy on that. So, but it's a, it's a very uh, good time of the year. And, of course, grilled corn, who doesn't like that? <laughs> Everyone loves grilled corn. Lon, before we uh, get into some of the places that you sell your corn, uh, one fact about corn that always blows people's mind is that there's a kernel for every silk piece that comes out of the top of the ear of corn. Did, uh, and people are always surprised by that fact because that's how the corn reseeds itself. That's exactly true. And if, it, and if that silk doesn't get pollinated by the tassel that's on top of the stalk, you have a blank spot. And really? if, the ta- if that silk gets burned on a hot day... Uh, then you have a blank spot, oh, and people don't realize that. So it just won't produce an ear. And the the reason corn is, I understand, is planted in such a large groupings is that they can pollinate each other instead of like a single row crop. Mm. Right? That's correct. So uh, Charlie's, um, I know they sell to all of our restaurants. They, when you had restaurants, Chef, they sure. sold to you. I've been buying from Charlie's for a million years. I played golf with Charlie yesterday, and he kicked my butt. Mm. Uh, I wasn't He's very happy golfer. about that. Is that is that how a vendor is supposed to operate? You kick the guy's butt. The, Normally, you should that let supports you support your business exactly. The, 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 anyway, if you want to try some of Lon's corn, go to uh, Metropolitan Markets. Uh, Charlie sells all over the Thriftways. Um, PCC probably uh, some PCCs. Yeah, he sells all over the place, and depending on which product they buy, you know, he's got a thousand products from a fresh produce perspective, right? Uh, you can find some of this lovely corn that Lon himself has directed to your doorstep. Thank you, Lon. Keep up the well, good thank work. You very much. All the best. That was Lon Inaba from Inaba Farms, uh, part of the Yakima uh, Indian group of companies. Now, I would say so. Yeah, I love that little fact about the each silk is connected to a kernel of the corn. People just don't know that. You can learn a lot of stuff here on the Hot Stove Society <laughs> show. <laughs> Yes, and next, guess what? We're talking about cream corn. Well, I got a little, I got a little verbal whipping after not sticking on that subject a little bit last week, so we're going to take it on this week on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I don't know if I could ever go without what I'm 
Here we are back in the hot stove kitchens, and I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Chef, we just got off the line with Lon from uh, Inaba Farms, who sells to Charlie's Produce. Yep. And he was telling us all about his amaze corn, that uh, right after they pick it, within an hour, it's down to about 35 degrees. Yeah, which is a very interesting process. I had no idea they were all doing that. That's, right. That's amazing. When I drive through the valley, I see all these fields of corn, and I think we can't possibly eat that much, but it's all dairy corn. It's all silage. Right. So that particular corn, they take and they grind up the stalk and the ears right, right in the field, into trucks, build mountains out of it with, with uh, tractors, right. and cover it with tarps, put tires on top, and those are the big mounds that you see throughout the valley. Sure. And they let it ferment there for a year, year and a half before they actually- Wait, that long? Oh, Yeah. Before they actually uh, wow. feed it to the cattle. He is talking about something very different right. in this amaze. And so if you look for it in the stores where Charlie sells, it's uh, under the brand A-M-A-I-Z-E corn. And you can do it all sorts of ways. You can just take it home and put it on your grill. Yep. You can pop it in boiling water like Lon said that he does. He puts sure. the water on and then he goes and picks the corn and then he's, he's ready to go. So you're eating it within 10 minutes of being picked. Or... Last week I talked a little, or maybe it was two weeks ago, I talked a little bit about creamed corn. And uh, we had talked about the cornbread pudding recipe that we were making, and it called for all sorts of canned products into right. making the cornbread pudding. Right. And that kind of freaked me out. So I just was looking at different ways to substitute those ingredients with fresh corn. Right. Right. One of the things in the cornbread pudding recipe was a can of creamed corn. Let's just you and I, we're chef types, we can figure this out. Sure. Let's make our own cream corn. Maybe not necessarily that we put in cornbread, but we could. We can make yeah. a double batch and use yeah. some in cornbread. But I love it straight up. Sure. So there's a couple of ways to do it as far as I'm concerned. Go ahead. You want me to start? Yeah. Okay, so you got your ear of corn. You just literally take a knife. I use my little serrated knife, and I take the kernels off. I have a pan started over here on the stove with some shallots that I like to toast to a, a, a light brown. Uh-huh. Cream that I reduce sure. by about a third. Sure. So it's, it's thicker than uh, usual. Uh, whatever fresh herbs I have, tarragon, thyme, anything, sure. even rosemary, a- anything works. Right. And then I put my kernels in, and I cook for three minutes so that my cream corn in that scenario has uh, got texture to it. It's got... You can see the corn kernels and it's all that. The other option is to take that very same ear of corn and I get out my grater that I literally grate my cheese on. Right. And I run the cob along the grater and just shred it off of the ear. So now you don't see the kernels anymore. Correct. It's all kind of ground up as you're going. You do it in a bowl and you run the cob right off of it and all the starchy corn liquid comes, the milk, right, comes off the cob. Mm. And you've got almost got, without even doing anything, you've almost got cream corn in your bowl. And you could, it's, if, if you eat it like that, it's certainly edible, but the, the outside casing of the kernel doesn't break down. So if you were to put that mix into the uh, reduced cream and the brown shallot and the herbs, it only takes one minute to right. cook. Right. And you have creamed 
corn that's almost a little bit more like grits than right. it is like the whole kernel creamed corn. So it's a super simple process. Right. You can get rid of the cans and do this yourself and feel good about your life. Absolutely. And I, I would even go further. When I, when I use a barbecue, I always grill more than I need to. Right. You know, for the next few days. So when I do ears of corn, I don't do one just for the meal. I do probably six ears of corn. You know, use two for dinner, and then I got four left. Right. Now, you take that grilled corn, and you use that in the same principle of, like, sweating the shallots, adding the fresh herbs, thyme. So there's a difference right there. You said sweating the shallots. Yes. I brown the shallots. There's, there are two different things, right? Yes. Okay. Sweating the shallots, add the, uh, the fresh thyme, a little white wine, reduce that down all the way to two-thirds down, mm-hmm. and um, add your cream, reduce the cream down, take the grilled corn off the cob, you know, and then put those into your cream, and you'll have a light grill flavor that uh-huh. be added to your, um, to your grilled cream. Grilled cream corn. Yeah. I mean, grilled cream. Well, go say that twice. Grilled cream corn. <laughs> grilled Ex- cream corn. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think it would be a nice uh, addition to the... And then, of course, in the end, a little bit of that humsum... Um, a little bit of that humsum... Uh, Spice, uh, uh-huh. spice or sauce. Well, the miso one would be delicious yeah. in there. I think the, miso the, would the be spicy delicious. one, the mala one, would be too spicy, but the right. miso would be delicious. A little touch of like just to give a little zing. Ooh. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the omson sauce, you could use a little lime juice, uh-huh. just a tiny bit of lime in there. At the end, I would give a nice little zing to your, to your sauce as well. So another option would be, so you've got your cream corn, you've made it. Uh-huh. Now you've got... Twice as much as you need, which is a good, it's, it's, it's a good problem, yes, right? Of course. Um, John Lewis would say, good trouble. <laughs> uh, now, you've, let's just say you've been clamming or you've been to the grocery store and you've got your hankering for some clams. Now you simply take your clams, you sweat them out, cook them, pick them, keep the broth, strain the broth sure. uh, so that you don't have gritty broth. Now you can make a corn and clam chowder with some exactly. bacon lardons. And some just little, uh, the trinity of uh, maybe uh, minced carrot, minced celery, minced onion, so that you have some texture. Uh, and you've got a beautiful ch- corn chowder. Yeah. Same thing with crab. Dungeness crab, pick the meat and then add it at the last minute into your soup. Literally at the last minute because it will warm up instantly. Mm-hmm. Don't need to cook it because it's already done. So you just put that in there and wonderful little flavor to your corn soup. Um, and if you want to go vegetarian, you can just do... Uh, diced carrots, you can do uh, diced, um, diced vegetable of any kind, zucchini, right. all that stuff. And you can just put them sweated into your, after you sweat your shallots and you put your wine, reduce your cream, just throw in the diced carrots and diced um, zucchini and everything. Just for a couple of minutes, you get all those crunchiness in there. Right. Beautiful veggies. And then you could also take that soup that you made, and if you say you used buttermilk instead of cream, mm-hmm. you could have a cold soup, and then you just take a roasted poblano chili and puree it. Mm. You have a beautiful poblano chili uh, decor on top of your soup. Sure. Serve cold or room temperature. Yeah. Then you put your crab meat on top, cold. Ooh. Oh, so good. Maybe That sounds s- like dinner. You know what else? You could also put a nice little spoon of caviar on top of that chilled why Home not, soup. Chef? I Why mean, not? Let's go all the way. We're Caviar. Rock- what do we have on our soup now? We went from a can of cream corn. 
<laughs> to a you chilled see? corn soup with roasted poblano chilies, this is, Dungeness crab, and caviar. This is, this is how you go from ordinary to really extraordinary. Extraordinary. <laughs> That was uh, that reminds me of Tina. Remember that was our segment for so many years here on the show. I'm I, I'm not sure where to go now. I was I'm so excited, <laughs> so excited to have some corn soup. Uh, when we come back uh, at the uh, beginning of the next hour, we're going to sh- invite our chef Annie Elmore here to uh, join us and talk about pot sticker heaven. Mm, and she I love me some pot stickers on Cairo Radio. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, ninety-seven three FM. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans not cornbread out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'll be ready. I'll be ready tomorrow night. You better wake up for our gas you gave. Been in this pot since half past two. Swelling and puffing and almost due. I woke up this morning and I said to myself, Gotta eat me some fine pot stickers. So I opened the freezer, grabbed the bag off the shelf, so I can make me some fine pot stickers. Welcome to Annie Elmore into the Hot Stove Kitchen. This is her, this is your home. It is my home. Home away from home. Yes. Yes, exactly. Annie uh, does a bunch of classes here. Oh, by the way, I'm Tom Douglas. And I'm Terry Rotiro, the chef in the hat. Uh, this is hour number two. We've got so much coming up. We've got, of course, uh, the Food for Thought Tasty Trivia, brought to you by Rub with Love Spice Rubs. We've got Annie to talk about her dumpling class and how to make the perfect pot sticker. Uh, and uh, Oklahoma onion burgers. But let's jump in right away with Chef Annie here. Annie, you are the pot sticker queen. You have the little fingers, and you can make the most perfect dumplings that I, I cannot. That I cannot do. No, you I cannot. try really hard, <laughs> but my fingers are too big. Yeah, you get. It's Eat. funny when I look at her hand and your I mean, hand. Uh, come over here for one second, and maybe the people on YouTube can actually see this. Yeah, it's yeah, a, it's exactly. literally twice, uh, literally twice the size. Yeah. So uh, while I have amazing dexterity for somebody of my vintage uh, and, and uh, my girth, uh, okay. they're, they're still not quite Annie's hands. You like how he's the one who says all this? I know. <laughs> uh, what makes a perfect pot sticker, Annie? Because, and I'm not trying to typecast you, because, yeah, 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 but know. you teach the classes here. Mm-hmm. And so what makes the perfect pot sticker? Uh, fillings, of course. The right. ratio of the fillings and the wrappers. And also how beautiful your pleats are. Right. That is a very crucial. Pleats are sexy. Very sexy. Yeah. So there's like a few ways that you could do them. Also, um, what about the cooking part? Because you. I mean, yeah. I've had pot stickers that were undercooked, and I've had pot stickers that were way overcooked. And well, it definitely doesn't do justice to. No, I mean, I, I feel like that's with everything, right? I mean, yeah, it has yeah. to be perfectly cooked to taste delicious. Um, but, you know, like getting to the cooking part, I honestly think the cooking part is a little bit easier than the folding parts mm-hmm. because more people cooking them, not many people pleating them because you can buy frozen pot stickers right. and right. you can cook them, right. but you can't, you know, um, it's well, a practice. Yeah, let's go back to the beginning. We only have a few minutes, so yeah. let's go back to the beginning. The wrapper. Yeah. I buy them from the Chushong Noodle Company down oh, yeah. in Chinatown. And you can buy them in thin, medium, or thick. Yes. Uh, I like the medium to thicker ones, personally, Me- yep. because I tend to make a meal out of my pot stickers mm-hmm. rather than 
uh, really thin ones, and they don't hold up when you're cooking them. What do you no. think about that? Well, I, I agree with you. I do like them. Oh, meat. my God. Oh, first time God. ever. Okay. All right. Let's make a note of that. Okay. Um, <laughs> but, yes, medium is perfect because it doesn't leak mm-hmm. out. And then because you have to water the, the wrappers. Uh, so if it's too thin, it gets too gooey. And if you're not great like me, you won't be able to wrap them fast enough. Then it get too mushy and right. yours just look like a mush. Right. But if you're um, making wontons, it's a little bit different because you're taking those thin wrappers mm-hmm. and you're popping them in the boiling water. It's just exactly. almost like as you're making them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean. So that's, it's a different thing. Yeah. yeah. So, like for boiled dumplings, mm-hmm. the thinner wrappers is perfect. Because mm-hmm. like sometimes like Szechuan, you see they, they boil it and they mix with like chili peppers and stuff like that, oil. Mm-hmm. And you just eat it plain like that. That's great. But for pan searing and stuff like that, you're going to need medium. And also, if you're a beginner, I would go with medium as opposed to thin. Right. And then when you're like an expert like me, then you can go to thin. Okay. So let's go to the fillings then. Is it yeah. like ravioli where they have to be super dry or can they be a little bit more moist, the filling themselves? Because um, you're not adding breadcrumbs. No, no. Like, like a ravioli filling, say. Yeah. It doesn't have to be super dry mm-hmm. um, because the meat itself gonna release the juice anyway and we do have soup dumplings too you see so right, they add right. gelatin uh broth in it mm-hmm. so technically no it doesn't have to be dry okay it can be a little bit juicy but soup dumplings aren't pot stickers no but it's still a type of dumpling yeah. you know yeah. but that's what i'm saying for the the filling it could be a little bit juicy so what's the exact difference between a dumpling and a Potsticker. Well, they're all dumplings. They well, are dumplings. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. But so that's what. Potsticker is how you cook it. Yeah. Right, Literally right. cooks to the. What is a pot? pot? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Just okay. Sure. So back on the fillings, you can make a filling out of anything. My totally. favorite place. I go to the Xylem Bao Dumpling House up on Aurora, 147th or mm-hmm. so in Aurora. I can't remember. Pepper Mill Shopping Center is what I. And then you buy the filling. And, uh, no, no, no. I, oh, okay. I have my pot stickers or my soup dumplings there. Okay. I like the pork and Napa cabbage. Or pork and garlic chive. Very dumpling. classic. Yeah. Very classic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, pork yeah. cabbage. So what other fillings would you tell people to try out? I mean, here we do uh, curry vegetables. So, um, shiitake is great. We do also a vegan delicious shiitake chashu Like a barbecue, uh, filling. barbecue mushroom? Yeah, oh, exactly. Really? Yeah. So chashu is the Chinese red pork or barbecue yeah, pork. Yeah, but we, we made it into like a vegan version of it uh-huh. so you just like fry the uh the shiitake and then you add the glaze yeah so it's super again like you you know going back to it doesn't have to be dry it can right. be a little bit saucy right. in there and spinach and tofu you're gonna do yeah that. spinach it's great in there tofu is good in there but you do have to wring the spinach out a little bit totally you? Yeah, yeah you can't just be a, no. like a wet and right. tofu we like to press them overnight too mm-hmm. or you can slow dry them in the oven and you can even add a little bit more of that um, texture in it, too. All right, so our potstickers are all folded and pleated beautifully. Mm-hmm. If you want to get a picture, we'll, pop, we'll post one online of one of Annie's. You're doing a class on the 26th of September, right? Yes, and that's the day of the National Dumpling Day. Ah. It's my that's, birthday, 26th of September. Oh, maybe yeah. you should come and eat yeah. some dumplings. Uh, so, so let's cook them real quick. So we've got a hot pan on the stove. We've got mm-hmm. some uh, vegetable oil in there, canola mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, it's a, and then you sure. take your raw dumpling mm-hmm. and you pop it right into that pan. Yeah. Is that right? And yes. then what? Pans has to be hot. And then you want to get super nice brown on the bottom. Not golden brown, brown. 
Brown, brown. Brown, brown. Because yeah. once you add the water, it will steam, and the browning stop. So, so now the browning is there. It's hot, so you have to be careful adding yep. the water, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and this particular lid, you have to have a lid. Yeah, and make sure the lid is perfectly fit with the pan. So don't yeah. try and get one too small or too big because the steam will evaporate. And all you have to do is now achieve the cooking the uh, wrapper, essentially. Exactly. Because the filling is already cooked. Yep, exactly. Well, not, not all of them. Not all of them, yeah. But yeah. Uh, and so then um, you pull the lid off and let the rest of the water evaporate? I like to be perfectly adding just enough water. So when I open the lid, there shouldn't be any water left, just a little bit of oil left. Ah. So that's what But you're perfect. not browning anymore because it's already no. been browned. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. being here. National <laughs> Dumpling Day, September 26th. Uh, Bridget Nanny East meets West in dumplings. Yes. Because every culture's got a dumpling. Just oh, like absolutely. Every culture has a meat on a stick. For sure. Uh, coming up next, we're inspired by the Oklahoma Onion Burgers, and we're going to make them our own on Cairo Radio, the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. I need those that daily Gotta have those that daily all right, we're back here at the Hot Stove Kitchen. Uh, it's, it's official, I can announce uh, this morning, I am a grandfather for the second and third time. Whoa. Yeah. Two. You kidding me? Bravo, so, chef. 3 a.m. this morning. Actually, I should uh, say congratulations, Loretta. <laughs> well, whatever. Yes. Who did the hard work here? Yes, she did. Who put her through college? <laughs> that wasn't hard. That was just a check. <laughs> Fine. Anyway, the good news is I've named them already, which is nice. Uh, you know, Hercules has been around for a while. He and I played golf this morning before I did the show. Ooh. Yeah. He, is, he can whack the ball for a two-year-old. I got him, you know, I got him a set of golf clubs because that's what I do. Anyway, Adonis and Athena have joined the, uh, have joined the grandchildren uh, stay tuned stable. For, stay tuned for the real name. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> On company property, we have our own set of names. Exactly. Seems like it. Uh, I sent you an article, Chef, about yes. the Oklahoma Onion Burgers, and it reminded me, uh, I haven't been down, down to the Puyallup Fair in a while, uh, and they're famous for their onion burger that's piled high with cooked onions correct and this is different but i also think this is more interesting for a couple of different reasons um and why why are you shaking your head like that chef well no i mean i think in the end it's the same thing i think they're better cooking it's a better cooking so this is why we're having this conversation yeah yeah yeah. you know we have the best onions in the world right there in walla walla that's right we grow them at our farm i don't know if we're allowed to call them walla wallas if we grow them in prosser in, in benton well, County. well that's a type of onion that we have here it's the same yeah. onion anyway it's just right i think next walla walla is trying to sue the world to keep their <laughs> names off the onions of what's other great places. about them is they are nice and sweet and so, that sweet is what's so great about it it is what's great so kenji lopez alt you know he's like the hot food writer in the, the country guru. He, he, he's been done a class here. We've sold his book called The Food Lab. He writes for the New York Times, and I picked this up out of the New York Times. I thought it was interesting for a couple of reasons. One is so you have your you make your burger burger patty, and he only makes a five ounce burger patty. Sometimes I think people think that to make a better burger, it must be a bigger burger. No, and it's just not the case, right? It's just not the case. I also don't want it to be too small and too wimpy because that's also not very good. Like a two ounce burger to me is like. 
Why yeah, bother? why bother? That's, yeah. <clears throat> it's like my left tooth just got filled up with some bad stuff. I think four to six ounces is a good burger. I would, I would agree with you. So let's go for a five-ounce burger patty. Right in the middle. Okay. And then you have to, in my mind, the health department would be very happy with this because uh, even in our burger joints like Dick's or Jack in the Box, wherever, they have to cook them to a certain temperature by, by law. A lot of these news. Well, what you're hearing a lot about is smash burgers, right? Where they really smash them, get all the juice out, get crispy edges. A lot of these are very well done burgers. Correct. And so they rely on other ways to get their keep their moisture. Correct. Okay, so now we've got a, a five ounce patty. What's wrong with mayonnaise and ketchup? Exactly. That's that's part of why you put all that stuff on there, right? right. Is to moisten it up. Uh, we start with a five ounce burger. Yeah. Uh, Kenji recommends a 70-30 mix, and I think that's a lot of fat. That's uh, a lot of compared fat. Compared to what most people are used to using. you got to remember, you're going to literally cook that fat out of it, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to cook this well done, and what the fat does is it helps give you that crispy edge. We're looking for a little crispy edge, right? I, I'm used to my 80-20, and I think 80-20... Works really well for me because uh-huh. I mean, especially when you do a cast iron pan rendering, it renders perfectly fine, and there is enough fat to really get that crispy edges and crispy side. Okay, so you're going to go with the a little eighty twenty mix, which is Correct. very findable in the grocery store. Right. I think if you get into the lean burger, you're getting up to the ninety ten mix. Well, if you're going to eat a burger, don't bother making it lean. That's not the point. It's yeah, just like gonna... anything else in life. It's like don't eat it every day. Just when you eat it, do it right. And my f- favorite part about that point, Chef, is that people are then going to turn around and put bacon and cheese on top. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, they got the, lean, got the lean beef. And mayonnaise. But cheese is literally a layer of fat on top of your burger. Yeah. And bacon, of course, is 70% fat. Yeah. So, yeah. So get over yourself. Just uh, eat two ounces less meat and don't make yeah. it an eight-ounce burger. Make it yeah. a... Share your burger with somebody else and have a green salad yeah, next to okay. it, and you'll be fine. So we've established that. So I like that. Now, instead of pre-browning your onions, this is for the Oklahoma burger, onion burger, you take your raw onions and you make a stack and you put it right on top of your burger and you put that face down into your cast iron pan. Okay, one very important point. Do not put salt on those onions. Because Resist. why? Resist. Yeah. Because if you do, you're going to render all that water out of the onion before it's cooked, and you're going to have a very different onion on your hand in the end. Mm-hmm. So you want to keep the water in the onion. You don't want to season your onion yet. That's but part of the cooking process, right, Correct. is the water from your onion. Correct. Yeah. Because you you're it. seeing these recipes these days with people putting ice cubes on top of their burgers or putting water and then putting a lid on for the smash burger. Or It's reinventing the wheel that's already made. You know, if I was still living by all the th- things that you were taught as an apprentice chef, yeah, yeah I yeah. would kill myself. That's true. You know, all Me these too. heavy stocks. and Yeah, exactly. You've changed your <laughs> style over the years. Anyway, so now we've got the stack of onions. We've got the burger on top. Yeah. And it gets smashed down. No, no so, the other way. The burger patty and then the onions on top. And then you turn it onion side down. Correct. Yeah. Uh, you want to smash the burger almost. Uh, if it started out as, say, a four-inch burger, you want to get to a five or six while it's still raw. You want to mm-hmm. smash it down on the onions, right? Yeah. You're going to cook it. You're going to put a lid on. You're going to cook it until the onions are wilted and browned at the same time, but still have a little bite. Right. Why is that important, having a little bite? Well, because otherwise, you get, I mean, you know, you're not going to... pile of mush, right? Yeah, you're, you're going to have mush. You don't want to have mush right. on top of that burger. Mm-hmm. And plus, you still have to put the buns in there. Well, here's the thing, right? When you turn it, you put the buns on top, and you put 
You know, each bun, a bun has two cut sides, right? Yeah. When you slice it through the middle, you've got two cut sides and two outsides. Right. So you put the cut side down on top of the burger, and then you put the cut side down on top of the other bun. So the two buns are kind of stacked, so you and then the you dome. put the lid on. It's a dome now. It's a dome now, and you put the lid on. And so what is steaming into the bun? Because this is a this is a burger and onion this is a soft squishy style bun, right? This isn't like you and I. We tend to butter our buns and then make a little crispy, yeah, which I dearly love. Oh, me too. Uh, but these this bun in the Oklahoma onion burger is being infused with the only moisture that's in the burger, which is the onion juice. Correct. Right. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think it it works really well in. The, the concept works well. Yeah. I'm still not sold on the idea. I mean, I would still crisp my, my bun afterward because uh-huh. I, I can't stand a mushy bun. Oh, it's, a, it's definitely, it's like That's a hot Costco dog. hot dog bun. You know, they know, come right out of the steamer. They, they stick s- to the roof of your mouth. I know. What's so oh, it's fantastic. I hate that. <laughs> I like when it's crispy. And I like well, the, that's I like one the, option. I'm just saying there's, I, a, there's room in the world for a second option. I, you know what? The Plus, wood, if it tastes like steamed Walla Walla sweet onions. The wood has enough steam buns so I don't have to eat them. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so then you pull it out, and you. this is not a cheeseburger. This is an onion burger. So you pull it out, and you s- simply flip the burger over, and you put pop the top on. And honestly... From there, I would salt and pepper, yeah, and then I would try it. Don't dress it with anything else at this point, right? This is all about the crispy edge burger right. and the onions. I might have done it in a little pat of butter. The I whole know thing. that I would definitely put some Dijon mustard on that butter. Well, stop, 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 stop. <laughs> that's fine, but you have to try it without first. Oh, yeah, no, of course. Because you want to taste that bun that's been infused with yeah. the onion steam. Because I think that's really the, the cool thing about this burger. Right. No, it definitely shines the onion, for sure. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, and that's the idea. It's, a, it's an onion burger for a reason. Would you try this recipe, do you suppose? Yes, I would try it. I would try it because I'm intrigued. You are still, I, I can would, hear in your voice you're skeptical. But I would definitely crisp my bun. But you have to try it the other way first. Coming up, Palace Kitchen Joy. See, that's a burger. That's, that's a, a burger. great burger. <laughs> well, we can talk about that when we come back on Cairo. It's the Hot Stove Society Show, 97.3 FM. Here we go, singing in the kitchen, all together now, singing in the kitchen, everybody, singing in the kitchen, banging on pots and pans, a mama and daddy, singing in the kitchen, baby laughing, singing in the kitchen. Okay, we're all tied up in knots over this burger, but let's move on. On Cairo Radio, it's the Hot Stove Society Show. There's been a lot of chatter about the Oklahoma onion burger. Chef, I think we need to steal the concept and kind of rename rename it. Uh, we have Prosser Patty Burger right now. We've yeah. got the we got the Walla burger. Walla TNT Walla Walla Sweet Burger. <laughs> That's definitely getting a lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, we love the concept. Moving on to something new. Uh, so we opened Palace Kitchen. We just had our three month anniversary of being open, and I've been there twice already. Have you? Yes. That's more than you were there in the 30 years oh, it was open no. prior to that. <laughs> you know, my, my kids, when they were about 10, 8, 7, different age, they would walk into the palace and walk straight in without, you know how kids do that? They just bypass the hostess. They don't really get the concept that you have to stop. 
We know they, how your kids did that. They, we, our kids, they just walk our in, kids didn't do that. Walk in and go into a booth, and they'd be like, whoa, whoa, where are you guys going? We're going to a table. I mean, that's how often we that's went nice. to the palace. That's sweet. It's nice when the kids do that, and it's not nice, but it's kind of endearing to see that. You know, the, the pandemic affected everybody, sure. and uh, we were lucky enough to be on the end of some government relief, which helped us kind of stay in touch with our businesses. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, many people. I mean, uh, I can't tell you every business that I can think of that I've people I've talked to that you didn't expect, like a car dealership or right. like an a, accounting firm or lots and lots of people got government relief. And so without it, we would not be open to this day. We would have our of building course. that we owned in Ballard and we would have our uh, our one restaurant. So uh, that's been something that is, was unexpected, but it's been fantastic for us. But at the same time, uh, we've been dealing with all the, the time that the restaurants were closed, the time that we could open and could not open, and now the staffing issues, whereas you can't find the correct team or a nice match in a team, all, all that sort of thing. Uh, but things finally came together 39 months after we closed for the Palace Kitchen. Wow. 39 months later, we finally got reopened. And we still have a business across the street from there, the Cantina Lenya that's still closed. Right. Uh, the ballroom is still closed. Very exciting to Very. to kind of get this thing up and going, but wasn't sure how it would go. You just never know. No, you never know. And of course, we got you know we had when we closed the palace thirty nine months prior, uh, we had we, our, our whole team disappeared. Right, they all went to get other jobs. They went on unemployment. They did. They they just moved on with their sure. lives. Um. Our favorite uh, waitress there moved to California. It's like we couldn't even possibly have right. her anymore, you know. Right. So, right. so I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And we hired a general manager. Her name is Kristen. Her th- thing to us was, this is my dream job. The Palace Kitchen was my dream restaurant. This is where I spent time with my husband and dated there and blah, blah, blah. This is the place I've always wanted to work. you got to love that. You can't get so we had, anybody she had never on. worked with us before. She had some good pedigree with other restaurant groups around town, but this was music to our ears to find a GM that kind of had that passion for right. what the palace is. This palace is a little bit different, right? It was open late. Right. There's not too many restaurants open till midnight for dinner. So there's our leadership. Things just kind of worked from there. Right. Chef Ron from the Carlisle room came over and he became the chef and hired a team. Uh, we have Mark on the grill who was at the palace years and years and years ago. Uh, said it was the only cooking job he would take again. You know, we just had some people very passionate about the project. Right. And that's what a, a restaurant is, right? You know. Exactly. It's, it's a project. Everyone, I don't care how many, you've got over 30. With, you start with your soul, and then you want to hope everybody gets in on board yeah. with it. Yeah. You know, and, it's uh, like. You have a mission. You have some parameters. You want to give people room to breathe at the same time. Yeah. To do things their way, but it's within the big way. And, and it's important uh, everybody clicks the same way. Right. It feels the same way about the space. Cause. So we hired her about mm, three months before we opened. So she got in there. She got the place just tidied up, spick and span. We remodeled this and that, as we have with all of our joints as we reopened. And opening night, it's here, right? Three months ago. And uh, it was teary. We were all in tears. So we just couldn't even believe it. I've been walking by that space for 39 months looking at this shell of a restaurant that still had the bones of what was one of my favorite of my joints because of the late night activity and the style of food and blah, blah, blah. And yet it was just sitting there barren for 39 months, right in my neighborhood, right on my walk from my car to whatever. So here we're open. It's unbelievable, right? We just can't even believe it's happening. 
And all of a sudden, we're getting these calls the week before we open saying, we have to have, just like your kids, we want the seats at the bar by the kitchen on the right-hand side right. of the restaurant. We want the booth in the front window. We want to be able to sit underneath the palace kitchen sign in that corner. There's the two of us. It's where we always had our dinner when we were dating, right? We want that oval table at the center because after work, we would always come for happy hour, and that's yep. where we met. Meet me at the palace, table eight. Unbelievable. Success. Well, that's not success, right? You know, no, it's that's, success from that the is, past. That's emotional success. Right. And that is terrific. Yeah. It's fantastic. You can't wish for a better response when you have a, a business. And that's before can. we opened. That yeah. was the response before we opened. Yeah. Then you're nervous because memories often fool you into something. Because when you're sitting there having dinner with somebody you're dating and you're excited and you're... You're wondering, is this the one and blah, blah, blah. It changes how your food tastes. Yes. It changes how you re interact with the and server. five years later, it tastes different. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can. That's my point. You know, it changes how you interact with your server. Uh, maybe the server was part of the plan to get you a secret ring. Yep. You asked somebody yep. to marry you at that table. It just changes. So you're nervous about expectation. So here we are at the palace. We're, in the, we're opening night. We've got all these people coming in that have this image of what the palace is and was. I was freaking out, just wondering if we were going to be able to meet what people's memories had in their mind, you know, about what they loved about the palace. And it makes me teary now when I'm even talking about it. But the amount of people that just were overwhelmed by the reopening. Right. And what restaurants can be in. You and I both know when, when COVID happened, we weren't sure what was going to happen. Nobody, nobody knew what was going to happen. But one of the things that was quickly noticeable was that people really missed restaurants. Yeah. Mine, yours, yeah. everyone's favorite little restaurant. Hole in the wall, big fancy. They missed the restaurants. Yeah. And I, we had that feeling at Palace 39 months later. They were so happy to have their spot back. And it has just been the most incredible thing. Yeah. This, I know ever the, since the opening, it's just been the most incredible feeling of a different feeling than what I was expecting. And then you did one thing, too, I think that's remarkable. You didn't try to remake the menu brand new, like everything mm -hmm. new. All the big classic were in there, the chicken wings, the planes. Yeah, 75% of the and, opening menu. You no, know, yeah. when I went back in, I was with Charlie, actually, that night that we went in. Mm -hmm. And when I sat down... Looked at the menu and I went, oh, the planes are still here. Oh, the chicken Queen, wings. Yeah. Chicken wings oh, are still here. Oh, we miss Martha so much. Martha and, made the uh, plane. It's funny because we ordered the planes. I was like, we got to have the planes. And they came and they were smaller. And I was like, uh-oh. And then I tried them. I was like, same exact product. Yeah, they're a little smaller. And um, that varies on who's making them because some yeah. people uh, are more dexterous than others. Of course. Uh, I was making them. They'd be this big, <laughs> as in giant. Well, the lady who taught me how to make them in Alba, Italy, made them super tiny. Right. But with very eggy pasta. So the pasta itself was firm enough to deal with that. Right. right so uh, anyway, so uh, back to the end of this story, we have been overwhelmed with love. Yeah. And, and I just want to say to everyone that's come out there who hasn't been there yet, but it's coming or, <laughs> or whatever. Thank you so much. It's been such a terrific a reemergence into our world here in downtown Seattle to have the palace back, to go in there at 11 o'clock at night and have the place bustling. Uh, of course, we didn't know, right, if no. people were still going out at 11 o'clock yeah. at night. But, yeah, there's a, there's a demand. Oh, people are going out. Yeah. And uh, some nights are very quiet. Other nights, yeah. jamming, right? So 
a lot depends on what's going on in the theaters around town. Or sure. uh, so we're excited about that. We're excited that SIF is taking over the Cinerama. Oh, yeah. The Seattle International Film Festival group. So that's Kitty Corner from the Palace. I think there's a heartbeat there that I was hoping would come back, and it has come back. And it's just, uh, I just wanted to say thank you to, I'm sure many of our listeners have already gone. Uh, some are planning to go. You know, some don't even know it reopened, as, right. you, as you told me. I know. You need to make sure you keep pushing that name, because every week I talk to somebody and tell them how great it was after reopening, and they're like, my God, it's reopened? I need to go there. <laughs> So. Yeah, it's just super fun, and I'm super thankful, and uh, thanks to everyone who's come and been part of our reemergence into the Seattle restaurant scene. That's what I have to say it's about a, Palace I, Kitchen I must Joy. say, it is an incredible soul place in the city. Oh, thank you. It is a great place. And Jennifer, you know, came in. Uh, I think she was there the night you were there, the woman who painted the big mural. Oh, yeah, on yeah, the, she was there, yeah. yeah she was bawling. Oh, she yeah. was so excited yeah. to, to be back and see her painting in, a, in the light that it's uh, supposed it to a, be in. It is a serious... Art piece. Yeah, it's big. 30 feet long, 8 feet tall. Yeah. Yeah, it's big. Up next, it's uh, Rub With Love, Food for Thought, Tasty Trivia. You're listening to us uh, on Cairo Radio, 97.3 FM. I got pots, pots of fans, I got pots, pots of fans, yeah, that's the way they like to play. Banging on pots of fans, banging those pots of fans. Peaches, 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 peaches. Ah, All right, here we are. It's the final segment today of the Hot Stove Society radio show here at the Hotel Andra in downtown Seattle. Every Thursday. Come down and do a little staycation with some with us sometime. Stay yeah. in the hotel, eat breakfast at, uh, well, eat breakfast here with the right. radio show, and then maybe go have a little pizza at Serious Pie across the street for lunch. It's a, it's a fun little weekend jaunt here in the city. Rub with Love uh, Food for Thought Tasty Trivia is brought to you, of course, by Rub with Love Spice Rubs and Sauces. Sold right here uh, in our very own cooking school down in the market at the Seatown restaurant. Uh, it is a dexterous line of rubs and sauces that will uh, open your options for creating new flavor profiles across uh, whatever it is that you want to put them on. So the salmon rub works on chicken. Chicken rub works on steak. You can whatever whatever it is that you like, the flavor profile that you like. You can find us in 5,000 retail locations across the country in Canada. And uh, locally, Met Markets, some Thriftways, some PCCs, you know, there's all over the place. Everywhere. Everywhere. We love it. Number one selling salmon rub in the world. Thank you very much. Love it. And with every jar you buy, you make a little donation to the Alaska Salmon Wild Salmon Fund. So, uh, Let's see. We have two audience members. Monica and Jennifer have uh, been either volunteered or been volunteered. <laughs> uh, Tracy volunteered you pretty quickly. Yep. Yeah, and you don't even know her. Thanks, Tracy. <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then Chef Terry, of course, is going to play. And as long as I'm the producer for the time being, I'll be the announcer. So best out of five. And the winner gets... Well, you guys get. And winner gets a stroll through our gift shop here of any three spice rubs that suit your fancy. You ready? Ready. All right. I'll Remember, start, it's yes. right up next to the mic. Ready or not? I'll start. Uh, chef, you're going to start. All right. Yeah. The six-letter name for the Vietnamese single-serving sandwich, usually served on baguette. Bon me. Bon me. No, no, that's not you. That's me. Oh. <laughs> Monica is I ready. <laughs> not you. Not yet. But it's good. Uh, you Monica. said the same thing I said. Sticking with the meat term, 
What is the term for a sweet pie of British origin, often filled with a mixture of dried fruits and spices, referred to as meat? The pie, pie. is traditionally served during the Christmas season and was once known as mutton pie. Yeah, it's a meat pie. Mince meat. Mince meat pie. Oh, that's a wrong, chef. What do you mean? It's not the name? Mince meat. Oh, mince. mince. Yeah. Thank you. All right, ready for number three? You're keeping score, right? So you're you've, keeping uh, score. One, one yes and one no. Lactobacillus. Bless you. Del, <laughs> Delbru Eki <laughs> and Streptococcus thermophilus are two of the most common bacteria used for creating what grocery store staple, which skyrocketed in popularity in the 2000s in the U.S. In 2000s? Confidence, chef. Confidence. Yogurt is what I'm You are correct, sir. You are correct. In 2004, New York City took legal action against vendors at the Ecuadorian Festival to prevent them from selling the meat of which animal? Wow, we are in a meat central here. The animal belongs to the order of rodentia and is relatively common is a relatively common pet in household America. Oh, yes. Um, no, no, it's we've had the, this one the, before. the guinea pig. The guinea pig, exactly. Uh, let's see. Declared by medical device manufacturers in each market where they plan to sell a new product, the intellectual property acronym FTO stands for freedom to what? Ooh, this is hard. Others. Freedom to operate. Okay. All right, you're Three good. Three out of five. Okay, Jennifer, Monica, who's going next? Oh. Jennifer's going. Jennifer wants to do it. Jennifer, get right up She's to like, that microphone. Can't wait. Now owned by ConAgra Foods, what brand of cake mixes pies, fillings, and other sweet treats is named after a man who was born in Bowling Green, Kentucky in 1880? Duncan Hines. Oh, my what? goodness. You oh, are my. killing it She's already. On top of it. Uh, the Tender Grill is a grilled chicken sandwich offered by what royal fast food chain whose slogan was once, have it your way? Burger King. Oh, you are killing it. Wow. <laughs> Staying in the fast food world, what popular fast food chicken franchise owned by Yum Brands was co-founded, uh, co-founded in 1952 by a well-known colonel who obtained that honorific title from the U.S. state referenced in the restaurant's name? KFC. Kentucky Fried Chicken. Oh, you are my correct. God. Are you a really trashy eater? Yes, I can. Be. Okay, what is, what is the name of the fluorescent green, orange-flavored high-C variety that debuted in 1986 as a tie-in to the animated series The Real Ghostbusters? I wouldn't have a clue. I have no idea. Slime? No. It's called Ecto Cooler. Ecto Cooler. Three out of four. A brand of candy owned by Mendelez, featuring little people-sized pieces that start sour and become sweet, are called the Sour Blank Kids. Sour Patch Kids. Sour Patch Kids. <laughs> wow. Okay, Terry, what's your Four score? Four out of five. Four out of five. It's me. Nice yeah. job. Nice job. Terry is out of the spice rub mix there. Uh, okay, Monica, you're next. Uh, Monica, Alexander Freshey was a Swiss baker who was once uh, one of the first to publish a recipe for a specific type of dessert that combined a fruit custard and an egg white based topping. What is the dessert? A fruit custard with an egg white based topping. I have no idea. Is it? Come on, think. Egg white based would be what? Like a meringue. Meringue. And a fruit would be. Lemon. <gasps> Lemon meringue pie. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Good deduction. Well, I'm not usually that nice, Monica, so I'm just saying. The three sisters have been the three main staple crops of many North American native tribes for thousands of years. They are planted together 
and believed to provide a balanced diet. One of these is corn. With one guess, name either of the other two. Squash? Pumpkin? Yes, you got it. Squash. <laughs> Beans and squash are what we were looking for. In 2006, uh, what variety of apple has been Minnesota's state apple? Not Washington's, Minnesota. Minnesota's. It's considered such a prized commodity due to its sweetness, firmness, and tartness, which makes it an ideal apple for eating raw and uh, its large cells, which rupture when bitten, filling the mouth with juice. I can say my favorite. Okay. Jazz apple. Jazz. Jazz is incorrect. <laughs> they were looking for the word Honeycrisp. The International Mu- Museum of Surgical Science in Chicago serves as a macabre dedication to the art of cutting people open. So surgical museum. It's a matter of fact, it holds the Surgeon's Hall of Fame. Included in the museum's archives are letters and journals from what famous English statistician who is often considered the founder of modern nursing, not necessarily modern surgery. My grandmother shares her first name. So does the city in, in Italy. It's a very popular city. Don't you hate when people say, you know it and you can't she remember? She was just in Italy last week. Oh. <laughs> Wait, was she there? All yeah, right. I Italy last You were there? Yes. Were you in that city? Well, it was so hot you forgot. Yeah, seriously. Florence Nightingale. Ah, Florence, Florence Nightingale. Nightingale. So far, two out of four. <laughs> two out of four. You need one more question. The good Not news important. is, Monica, you're bringing up the rear. <laughs> uh, a leafy vegetable native to the Mediterranean, along with the other cabbage species, began to appear in northern Europe during the 5th century, and a few hundred years later became closely associated with a major European city on the River Seine. Today, their name continues to reference that city. What is this vegetable? You were in Italy last week, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. <laughs> you will not fall. I don't know. I'm How drawing blank because Brussels you guys are all looking sprout. at me. Ah, yes, the Brussels sprout. sprout. Oh. Okay, Monica, you're, no trip for you. No. Two out of no, five. No trip through the gift shop for you. Jennifer, congratulations, congratulations. on the win. Congratulations. If you want to be like Jennifer and be a winner, <laughs> you can come be part of the show at hotstovesociety.com or you can watch us on YouTube Live at Tom Douglas & Co. Uh, it's just 25 bucks if you want to come join us. It's, it's cheap at half it's, the price. And it's fun. Exactly. The show is produced by Tom Douglas and Liz. Sean McFadden is our technical wizard and our talented editor who's really going to clean up that uh, taste for... Tasty trivia <laughs> segment is Sean DeTore. Remember, if you miss any episode of our Hot Stove Society show on Cairo, you can listen to us via podcast. Just subscribe with your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening and have a fabulous weekend. Nobody says fabulous like Terry does. P-I-T-V-A.